My name is Kelly Kelly. Welcome to Hand to Holds Beyond the NICU, a podcast dedicated to the family's journey after a NICU stay. I am a NICU parent to Jackson, a micro preemie born at 24 weeks, and Lauren, a late-term preemie born at 34 weeks. I am also the founder and CEO of Hand to Hold, a national nonprofit dedicated to providing education, resources, and peer-to-peer support to families that have experienced premature birth, the loss of a baby, or have a child with a special health care need. The NICU journey doesn't always end after discharge from the hospital. Premature birth impacts families well beyond the NICU. From therapies to feeding challenges to doctor's appointments and managing the rest of your life, having a NICU grad at home can be overwhelming. This podcast is designed for you as a means of support and reminder that you're not alone wherever you are in your NICU journey. Free virtual support groups allow families to access support at all stages of the journey, from the comfort and safety of your own home. Learn more at handtohold.org slash support groups. Having a baby in the NICU is life-changing, but you don't have to do it alone. Join a group today. For moms and moms-to-be, we know that it may be difficult to navigate this time of joy and hope while also feeling stress that may be out of your control. Sage Therapeutics wants you to know that there are many resources you can turn to for support and information in addition to your health care provider. There is an incredible network of maternal health community and advocacy organizations across the country. If you or a loved one are experiencing postpartum depression, it may be helpful to surround yourself with community support in addition to talking with your doctor. You can find information about postpartum depression support resources in your area by visiting www.sagerx.com. That's www.sagerx.com. Then select Patients and Caregivers, and then select Find Community Postpartum Depression Support Resources in the drop-down menu. Type in your zip code to find local support groups and national organizations that may have information and helpful resources available for you. The Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale is a screening tool frequently used to identify postpartum depression in pregnant and new moms. But questions on the screening tool may not be the best at assessing postpartum depression for NICU moms. Many doctors expect NICU moms to fail the test because they would expect NICU moms to be anxious, sad, and have difficulty sleeping. But doctors do their patients a great injustice by not taking their screenings more seriously. NICU moms are at a higher risk for postpartum depression, and they need their health care providers to see them and treat them as individuals. We need them to ask more questions, acknowledge our pain, and help ensure we get the support and treatment we need so we are best able to care for ourselves and our babies. Joining us today to share her story about her postpartum depression screening is Rhiannon Giles. 
Rhiannon is an overwhelmed mother who occasionally considers giving her children to the circus. She interweaves poignancy and humor to cover topics ranging from prematurity to parenting and mental health. Her work has been featured on sites such as the New York Times, Washington Post, Parents, Scary Mommy, Max Sweeney's, and Huff Post. To keep up with new posts and see some of her favorites, visit Rhiannon.com. That's R-H-I-Y-A-Y-A.com. Or join her on Facebook and Twitter. Rhiannon, thank you so much for blogging for Hand to Hold and being willing to be a guest on our podcast. We are so excited to have you here to talk about postpartum depression. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm just going to dive right in. I want to know, why is it so important to you to make sure that we do not dismiss postpartum depression as Nikki moms. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and what led you to writing and blogging for Hand to Hold? Definitely. Um, so my story really starts, it was the night of my daughter's fifth birthday party. We had just finished the party and I went to use the bathroom and there was blood. And then I looked in the commode and there was more blood. And at that point, I went to the hospital thinking it was just going to be some random cervical bleeding, a big deal. We told my daughter we were just going out for a little while. And then it turned into that first day was four days in the hospital. They had diagnosed me with mild preeclampsia and a partial placental abruption. At some point during that, it was clear that the abruption hadn't continued, and they had thought I was leaking fluid, but I it was clear that I wasn't, so they sent me home, and then I went for a non-stress test two days later, and baby was doing fine, but at the end of it, the nurse checked my blood pressure, and it was really high, so she called the maternal fetal medicine doctor over, and they said they were going to draw blood and get urine, but they would do that in-house, and I could just go home since my face hadn't been puffy or any of those other preeclampsia symptoms. And that's when I said, well, my face actually was really puffy this morning. I thought it was just because I ate salty food last night. And at this point, they sent me to the hospital. And the at first, labor and delivery forgot about me for a few minutes. And then they, I went and asked, you know, I'm here for a reason. Can you help me? And they took me back to triage, took my blood pressure, and from that point on, it became a big blur because it was nurses and doctors all over me, inserting IVs, um, debating whether or not to use magnesium sulfate or not at the moment. And from that point, which was about 29 to 30 weeks pregnant, I was in the hospital for the long haul. I was not going home until after Rowan, my son, was born. Our goal was to get to 34 weeks. And we knew that was a, a stretch, but that was the hope. At 31 weeks and five days, I got a message from the nurse saying not to eat anything until I talked to the doctor. And then the doctor came in, and I remember he put his hand on my leg and said, your lab work 
has taken a turn for the worse. I think we need to plan to go ahead and have this baby tonight. So that night we had, I had to have a C-section because Rowan had flipped at some point, um, head up, butt down. And so there was no vaginal birth in the cards for that. And the C-section itself was honestly another blur of activity where it was happening so fast and was so little input for me that I was, I couldn't even be scared because it was just happening so fast. Rowan ended up being born at eight o'clock that night. He was breathing on his own amazingly and spent 40 days in the NICU. The last 35 or so of those, he was mostly a feeder grower who was just trying to learn how to eat and gain some weight. The first few days were a little more hectic. And I, on the other hand, was not getting any sleep trying to parent my older daughter and trying to pump around the clock every three hours, trying to spend time in the NICU with Rowan and then dealing with the fact that every time I closed my eyes, I was having nightmares. Wow. I just, I just feel, you know, I'm sure as uh, many in our audience really relate to what you're saying. You know, it really takes me back, Uh, you know, similar experience. You know, I wasn't on bed rest, but, you know, everything was a blur. It all happened so quickly. And uh, just the exhaustion uh, when when I came home. And I I know our listeners relate to exactly what you're saying. And I just feel kind of, you know, even... Right now, just, the, you know, that anxiety kind of swell up in me as I hear you recounting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think it's a very familiar um, experience for so many of our NICU moms. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your story. So that brings us to, you know, your home. He's been in, he had been in the NICU for uh, 40 days in your home, and you're caring for both of them, and you're exhausted. So at what point? are you being assessed for postpartum depression? Is this at a regular OB appointment? I feel like I was actually assessed for postpartum depression at every appointment I had. The one that I recently wrote about was at my six-week follow-up appointment. And I filled out the postpartum depression screener and it was clear filling it out that I was struggling. I knew that. Luckily, I already had a therapist, so I was aware that I was struggling, which made it even more black and white when he said, oh, well, we expect postpartum um, preview moms to fail these. And then he just kept talking about right, kind of whatever just, else was going kind on. Kind of flippant, just a little flippant about it, yeah. right? And, and I remember that as well, that the same happened for me, that, you know, it would, it makes sense that you would be sad or, or that you would be worried or that you wouldn't be sleeping as well. Um, so it really made me dismiss it. And so I didn't think a lot about it as well. So I just think it's really important that the discussion we're having today so that we can help our moms understand that the importance of not dismissing um, their anxiety and the depression and other symptoms, um, 
even though they have a baby in the NICU. I want to pause here. I told you earlier that, you know, there are so many things in your writing that just really stand out and um, or just paint this visual. But um, you said here when you're filling it out and they wanted to know if you had been uh, – feeling anxious is that word is that right i've been anxious or worried for no yeah. good reason that was the question that was posed on um the inberg postnatal depression scale and i i just love your paragraph here you said i pictured my son curled under blue lights in the intensive care nursery on the fifth floor of the nearby hospital panic rose to fill the exhausted space behind my eyes did he count as a good reason i just think that's profound like you know is that a good reason that i'm feeling this anxious and this worried and uh am i to just dismiss that because of course i would feel anxious and worried because i have a baby in the nicu but i just felt that was so powerful so i wanted to share it um there with the reader so tell us a little bit more about you know your how you answered these questions and what um your doctor's reaction was um so i answered the question i have plenty of experience at this point in answering depression scale and anxiety scale questions so i answered it as honestly as i could and i think one piece that the doctor also wasn't considering is that a lot of mothers don't answer that as honestly as they can because they're scared of what the results might be. Um, so I felt like for him to dismiss the way he did, and like I said, it wasn't a malignant dismissal. He was just a flippant, like, well, we expect that, no big deal, kind of dismissal. And for him to do that when it very well could have been even harder for me than I was putting down on paper seemed just, I don't know, it just seemed like he wasn't taking the care that he should be in that part of the big picture of my health. Right. Just how serious postpartum depression really is and knowing, like you said, that moms tend to hold back. We're a little more reserved. We're a little nervous about telling how we really are feeling. And I think, you know, we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves that, you know, we we have to rise to the occasion. We have to kind of muscle through this. We know this is going to be hard. And, you know, we're trying to be, you know, a warrior mom. Um, and rather than being very honest about how we are handling things emotionally and mentally. So I think that's a really good point, that if you're holding back and not expressing everything there, that he wouldn't take more time and ask you more questions and spend more time with you around that and uh, rather than just dismissing that, of course, you're a Nikki mom, so you're going to fail this test. And, you know, I had the same experience, so I'm thinking it's not just us. This must be happening in other OB offices and other pediatrician offices as well. So that means that we, as the moms, really need to understand um, our emotions and be able to advocate for ourselves uh, to get the support that we needed. And so 
as we move on through the test. So I, I know, I remember in your article, you said that basically he just moved right on into talking about your reprodu- reproductive health, right, uh, contraception and yes. uh, having more babies. And so you didn't spend very much time at all talking about the results of the test. Is that right? That's right. He, I think the only thing he said was that we expect postpartum preemie moms to fail these tests. And I think that a lot of times moms in general, and especially preemie moms, dismiss it ourselves. So we need somebody who's willing to say, this is important. Um, You know, these answers are not unexpected. I think that's fair, but they're still important. Mm, That's a great, that's a great point. That it might be expected, but it's not to be dismissed. I think that's that's really right. a great great point. So tell us a little bit more about you already had a therapist at this at this time. So I, you were talking with them about especially like the nightmares and things like that. I think are so important that we don't dismiss that. I I was having that, and of course the exhaustion and um, you know a lot of. Um, physical reactions to my anxiety. So, so I think that it's so important that we don't downplay that. So you already had a therapist in place and were able to talk through these things with her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking through these things with her, which I am eternally grateful for because I knew I didn't have to in this situation confront this doctor because I already had somebody taking care of me, helping me along, whereas a lot of women don't necessarily have that. But I remember after my daughter was born, having some nightmares postpartum, uh, and, you know, that's normal. But it was a whole different level after Rowan was born in that even without being asleep, every time I closed my eyes with even the thought of sleep, it was immediate immediate panic that I was going to die because my blood pressure was still high at that point Um, that would just kind of fade into nightmares. And pretty much all the nightmares were about me being helpless. I remember nightmares about, um, you know, my daughter not being able to save my daughter from something, even though she was healthy and, you know, a great five-year-old at that point. And it started to make me scared to go to sleep which was something I was already not doing enough of. Once Rowling came home, I was trying to do, and I'm sure so many Nikki moms are familiar with this, I was trying to do that whole rotation of pump, breastfeed, bottle feed. And when you're trying to do that every three hours, it doesn't leave a lot of room for sleep, especially. Maybe 15 (laughs) minutes left in there by the time you've gone through that process and washed your Wash your pump parts and put the milk away and all that. Oh, I, I, I know, and I, I know that right. most of the Nikki moms that we're talking to, if if they were able to produce milk, many of us aren't. Right. So uh, just how, how challenging that can be. But there's something I want to go back and revisit. Um, and you okay. share in the article, uh, you had lost a friend to preeclampsia. So you had the additional stressors of knowing just, you know, how how dire your medical situation was and, and just how serious and that, you know, it, it could lead to your death if you did not receive the correct medical care. And I think that's important for us to talk about, too, because 
I didn't learn through my therapy for many years that my PTSD really started with my own physical experience. So it was my experience of going into labor, my experience of being alone uh, without my husband in the ambulance and then, um, you know, being taken in for the emergency C-section and waking up and being alone because my husband was in the NICU. So it was really related to my own self. And I really pushed that down because, like you talked about in the article, that, you know, we, we disappear behind the needs of our baby, right? Everything is focused on the baby. And, you know, I was in a lot of pain. I had a very difficult recovery. And I think that, especially for Nikki moms, you know, we don't allow our, ourselves time to think about the trauma that we've been through, the medical complications we've had. Um, We are just automatically in the NICU and caring for the baby. And I think that that can compound our emotional, mental health challenges, uh, be it uh, postpartum depression or anxiety or even PTSD, because we are disappearing behind the baby And a lot of times we do that because we don't have anyone else telling us we shouldn't do that. So I'm hoping that our listeners today, um, that's one of the messages that they'll hear is that, that, you know, you really have to take care of yourself and you have to be honest about the emotions, uh, physical health, emotional health, all of these things you're going through and asking for support and really in some cases just demanding that they that it be taken seriously that it is not dismissed and would you agree with any of that i agree with every bit of that um i think that we understandably again end up focusing more on our baby and so does everyone else because they're the one at that moment going through the obvious visible tangible situation um it felt like once, when I was in the hospital, it was all focused on me. And then the second Rowan was born, it was all focused on him. And that includes by me, myself. And I definitely wasn't pushing hard enough for the support I needed. Um, I have emails with my therapist from that time where she was telling me I really needed to make sure I got some sleep because that was definitely compounding things. And I think we feel like we need to be super moms while our babies are in the NICU, especially we need to be there every second and any second we're not, we need to have a good reason why we're not. But in reality, just our own mental health can sometimes be a good reason why not for a little while Um, to go take a nap, to go let your own physical self rest because and I'm sure this is the same for many Nikki moms, especially those who end up having C-sections, where we are not getting to lie down and have people bring us our baby and feed our baby. We're up in a wheelchair for a while and then at some point walking, trying to hold the baby, trying to maneuver cords around when we really should be resting and there's no way around it but we need to not ignore it either right we really need to acknowledge that that you know rest is what your body needs to heal and we oftentimes just deny ourselves 
um, that rest and that self-care for our healing because, you know, in, in many cases we are needing to be there with our baby. But I think those are all really valid points. And, you know, so I wanted to... To, to just acknowledge that you had some pre-trauma, right, from your yes. losing your friend and then having preeclampsia yourself and, you know, how, how that might have impacted um, your anxiety and then filling out that report. Do you remember, did you even share with your doctor at the time of, you know, talking about having lost a friend to this condition and then having your own, having it yourself? Was there any discussion around that at all? I don't remember specifically, but I'm going to guess there was because at this point it was something that slipped out of my mouth in pretty much every conversation I had. Um, That, like, I remember specifically in the hospital when the doctor was trying to tell me how dangerous preeclampsia could be. And I just stopped her. I was like, I know, like I lost a friend in this very hospital two months ago to this. And that doctor actually remembered my friend and got very quiet and was like, yeah, I I remember that. That was hard for everybody. Um, Because, you know, it's not the likely thing that's going to happen, but it was definitely a data point in my history of something that could happen and as somebody who already, you know, had pre-existing anxiety and depression, it latched on to that hardcore. Well, I think that, again, just so important that we that we are honest with our doctors and have these conversations. Mm-hmm. It can't be that just, um, you know, you, you called it a data point. Basically, it was just a data point. They mm-hmm. were much more concerned, right, with your reproductive health than your own mental state. And I think it's so important that we know we have to be emotionally, mentally in a, a strong place when this baby comes home because we have to care for that baby. And in your case and many others that we're caring for older children as well. So mm-hmm. we need to be in a good place in order to ensure their best care, especially when they're medically fragile coming out of the NICU. So why, why self-care and why our mental health are so, so important um, during this time. So I I love that you said, I craved acknowledgement that my suffering was valid. In reducing me to the moniker of a preemie mom, he minimized rather than recognized my pain. I think that's just so well put, and I, I wanted you to talk a little bit. If you could talk to the doctor and these doctors that are doing these screenings, what advice would you have to them, and then what advice do you have to the mom who's filling out this this questionnaire? Um, I think for the providers, my biggest thing would be that you don't have to – acknowledging somebody's pain, acknowledging that somebody needs further help does not mean you have to derail your entire day to take care of them, but – to acknowledge it in and of itself can be enough to help somebody feel validated and get help, um, not to mention potentially giving them referrals and things like that. And then for the moms, I just I guess my big thing is that it's valid no matter what. Whatever you're experiencing is 100% valid. 
and worthy of having someone help you with it. And that could mean so many different things. That could mean, you know, peer-to-peer support groups or therapy or um, online groups. There's so many different ways that that could go. I remember spending a lot of time, in addition to therapy and a mom group, on the Hand to Hold website just trying to find anybody's situations and experiences that sounded like mine. I do think that's so important that – um, and why peer-to-peer support is so effective is knowing that you're not alone, um, knowing that other people have shared in that experience, um, that we not judge ourselves because, you know, for me, I talk a lot about I didn't feel an automatic bond with my baby, and I didn't right. share that with anybody. I was so embarrassed by that and ashamed of that. And so it was years before I read a book and another mother had shared how she didn't feel an automatic bond and she didn't want to go to the NICU. And it was this huge release for me of I'm not a horrible person. I'm not a bad mother. I was, you know, I was going through a great deal at that time. And it was, it was normal, natural, uh, that I may not yeah. have that automatic bond with this very medically fragile baby. So I hear you. I think it is so important that we engage in groups and communities. And um, we just started these virtual support groups, and I'm so proud that we've been able to do that. As horrible as COVID-19 has been, you know, it has allowed us mm-hmm. to start these virtual support groups. And we're connecting with moms across the country, and it's it's amazing to hear their feedback of, you know, for many of them, the first time they've participated in a support group and connected with other moms like them and just seeing the bonding that's happening and the sharing and the understanding and I think the self-awareness and also the release, the release of a lot of emotions, a lot of pain. Um, So I'm just so glad that we've been able to do that and I'm excited that we're going to continue to do that well after COVID because we see that it's filling such a need but I think you know it that's why we try to provide support in many different ways because everyone kind of relates to this in a different way so for some it's reading the blog others it's listening to a podcast uh, others it might be uh, having a peer mentor so just we're here to serve families um, in the best way for them but I think at the the end of the day, the bottom line is that they're not alone and there is support and we want to help them through um, the challenging days in the NICU, but then well after. I mean, just because you go home from the NICU doesn't mean everything is suddenly okay. And I think you would agree with that, that a lot of our, uh, finally, when we're able to Things might just finally start to feel normal, and that's when a lot of the anxiety um, can creep in. And so just to be aware of that and be willing to go back and and, uh, talk to your OB, talk to your pediatrician, um, maybe seek a therapist if you're seeing that it's interfering with, you know, your day-to-day functioning. If you're not able to care for yourself and your baby, you have to reach out and get support. And I think it's also important to note that there's no time limit on it either. I remember being very overwhelmed and surprised on Rowan's second birthday. I thought I had gotten, you know, through it. His first birthday had come and gone. That was the hard one, right? But his second birthday caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting the feelings coming up that did. Um, 
and how scary it was. And even now, Rowan just turned five and is doing great. But even now, in the middle of all the COVID stuff, that feeling of helplessness comes back up of, I can't do anything about that, and I want to figure out a way to do something about that, like wanting to change reality. Right, and and I I think you're not alone in that because we have seen a lot more moms talking about the impact of COVID and and how it is bringing up anxieties and old fears and um, you know some potential PTSD for them of. Um, what they had been through in the NICU. So I appreciate you sharing that. I think you're right. I think we, um, you know, when when it comes to our brains and how they are wired mm-hmm. after going through trauma, you know, it can be a smell, it can be a sound, the, you know, things that st- remind me of that monitor. It's been almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it can, that's when I hear a lot. Right, and so it can just really bring up a lot of uh, emotion because our brains have just um, embedded that information and that fight or flight in there around that experience. Well, I just so appreciate all that you do for Hand to Hold. Thank you for sharing your beautiful gift of writing and for being willing to share your story on our podcast. And I just wanted to pause for a minute to make sure that if there's anything else that you would like to share with our audience before we say goodbye. Um, One of the most interesting things that came out, actually, of the whole experience was that is what made me start writing. I mean, writing is something I kind of did. I had blogs that nobody cared about, <laughs> you know, on MySpace or whatever. But it was actually writing Rowan's, writing Rowan's story that got me into writing and changed my life for sure in ways that I didn't expect. It doesn't mean it wasn't still a terrible time, but that was one good thing that came out of it. Well, I am so glad that it did because you have a gift. You are a very beautiful writer, and um, I just appreciate you. I I encourage you to keep writing. I think that a lot of people will benefit from from your writing, and I encourage our listeners to write, even if you're not a writer. I mean, I think journaling is such a healthy way Mm -hmm. of expressing our emotions. Maybe it's emotions that we are not – um, comfortable sharing with others just yet, um, but it might be the first time you really admitted some of those things to yourself. So I really think that uh, journaling and writing and poetry are wonderful ways of self-care and kind of a self-acknowledgement of the emotions that we're going through. So I'm so glad uh, that something so beautiful came out of um you know, one, the loss of your friend, and I, I do want to acknowledge that and just, um, you know, remember her uh, right now, and I'm so sorry that um, you had to go through that loss, and then I want to acknowledge just how hard it was going through the NICU and uh, all you've been mm-hmm. through, but I'm so glad something so beautiful came of it. So thank you so much for giving of your time and being part of our podcast today. You are such a gift to hand to hold. Thank you so much. If you are a NICU parent in need of support or are interested in becoming a mentor, please visit our website at handahold.org. There you will find information about our peer mentor program, blog posts, as well as information about a Beyond the NICU support group. You are not alone. For more information or to speak to a Handahold staff member, contact Handahold at info at handahold.org.